The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political commentator for news news radio stations WGN in Chicago and KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, Polls Foreign Designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. It's President's Day, so we'll discuss the President today, as painful as that might be. Our guest today in the first half hour is John Bennett, Washington Bureau Chief of the Independent. Former Obama administration official Mo Vella joins her own Mark Romaldi for the provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today on the show. Inquiring minds want to know. First, can Michael Bloomberg's money buy him the Democratic presidential nomination? Two, Can Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren recover from their poor performances in New Hampshire to win the Democratic nomination? Third, which Democratic candidate has the best chance to beat Donald Trump? Our guest in this first half hour is John Bennett, Washington Bureau Chief and U.S. Politics Editor of The Independent. Before that, John was the White House correspondent for Roll Call. John, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, okay, let, let's uh, start with this. Um, how do the president and his advisors feel about the prospects for re-election? Re- uh, are they optimistic, pessimistic? I think they are, they are increasingly optimistic. Uh, the president, I don't think he's hidden it. Uh, that much. I don't think he's tried very hard to hide the fact that he would prefer to run against a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, and uh, she might be sliding and, and falling uh, in the polls. Uh, but uh, Mr. Sanders, Senator Sanders certainly is not. He's in the mix. He's the front runner right now. He's in the mix in in just about every state coming up, maybe with the exception of South Carolina. Uh, uh, looks like Vice President, former Vice President Biden, uh, is still going to win there if everything holds up. Uh, but everywhere else, I was just looking at some polls 
uh, before we uh, before we linked up here. And in every state coming up, uh, in every major state coming up, uh, Senator Senator Sanders is either first with a you know a lead that's outside the margin of these polls, or he's running a close second uh, to Vice President Biden uh, or someone else. So right now. Uh, the, the White House and the Trump campaign and the president himself, they feel pretty good. They think they can beat uh, a, a Democratic nominee from from the far left or the progressive wing of the party. There's a reason that President Trump, at, especially his campaign rallies, talks so much about socialism and uses that word socialism with various adjectives in front of it, radical, extreme, etc., um, and that was to set up just what they think they're going to get here, and that's uh, a matchup, again, either with Warren, or, but it looks like um, uh, what would be more likely is a matchup with Senator Sanders, who, you know, uh, is not is not ashamed of the, of the Democratic socialist tag. That's what he describes himself as. Of course, the wild card here is what happens uh, when we get into the Super Tuesday and beyond primaries. And what I'm referring to there, of course, is New York, uh, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who uh, could be the one who kind of upends all this. And, and it could come down between Sanders and Bloomberg. And, and boy, I think anything will go in that. And, and I think it's anyone's race. Uh, if, if the trend that we're seeing now continues, and, and who knows, anything could, could blow all of this up. But right now it looks like it's Sanders and, and Bloomberg um, are going to match up at some point, and, and this could go on for for several months between those two. Okay. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this. Um, we talked about uh, the candidate they'd like the Trump Trump uh, would like to uh, run against, and that's Bernie Sanders. Uh, which candidate do they, uh, among the Democrats do they fear the most? Uh, at one point, they used every opportunity uh, they could to bash Joe Biden. Now that uh, Joe Biden is slipping, uh, how do they feel? Uh, who, do they, who do they not want to run against? Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, the president himself and, and certainly his surrogates went hard after uh, the former vice president. Uh, we've all seen the, we can't call it a transcript, the White House uh, document summarizing his his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky that led to the the whole uh, impeachment matter. And, and we could do a whole show on, on whether that has backfired on Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. Um, I think, it, I, I think it, it is starting to backfire on them, and it could backfire on them in, in tremendous fashion with a second Trump term. Uh, but be, be that for another day. Uh, certainly right now, the, the Trump um, kind of offensive machine is, is turning away from uh, from Joe Biden and and turning toward Mike Bloomberg more and more. If you watch these Bloomberg ads, and the other night I was at home and and you know doing some of those evening chores, and for whatever reason I had muted uh, my television, and a Bloomberg ad came on, and I had not seen this one yet. I'd read about it, and I reached for the remote, but I was still watching the screen, and I didn't I didn't even turn the volume on. I was just uh, very impressed with how professional and slick, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, just these Bloomberg ads are very well done. They're pointed. I think they throw more elbows uh, than we've seen some of the other Democratic candidates throw toward President Trump. Bloomberg is going right at Donald Trump. He's trying to make the point 
that he'll fight him uh, more than any other Democratic candidate if they were the nominee, and that he's not afraid of Donald Trump. We haven't seen a lot of that from the Democratic candidates. Of course, from Biden, we've seen that for years. Um, you know, he he and Trump challenged each other to a uh, a fist fight between seventy year olds. I'm, I'm not sure how many rounds that one would have lasted. Um, but um, right now, the the Trump machine is focused on Bloomberg, while also trying to do what they can subtly to keep the Bernie Bros fired up. Because again, you know that they really. They, they understand turnouts, and that goes for primaries, too. Uh, you know, for, for a Trump campaign official, they think of it as a math problem, and they're trying to help Bernie solve the math problem in places like Nevada and California and so on, while also, um, you know, trying to discredit uh, uh, Mayor Bloomberg. And, and I think that's where they – that's what they've always feared is if, if you get someone who can – can at least claim to be a moderate on some major issues. Of course, with a $15 minimum wage increase proposal, I don't think anyone's going to call Mayor Bloomberg, you know, a moderate on every issue. But he can certainly say he's had to work, you know, with the city council. He's had to work with state government, and you know, he he's had to cut those deals and compromise. And that's what they fear. That's what the White House fears. So right now, uh, it's Mike Bloomberg that uh, that's really in their crosshairs. Uh, by the way, with you, I agree with you, John, about Bloomberg's ads. Uh, they are very good. Uh, you can hardly miss them these days. Uh, they're very good. They're very well professionally done. Uh, and uh, I guess if uh, you're, I guess he's uh, Bloomberg's up to four hundred and fifty million dollars now in TV ads. Um, it's uh, one thing to spend that much money, but it's another thing uh, to spend that much money on ads that are so uh, well done. We're going to be back uh, with more of Deadline D.C. after these messages uh, with our guest, John Bennett, Washington Bureau Chief and U.S. Politics Editor of The Independent. Don't go away because we have a lot left in the show. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. John Bennett, uh, Washington Bureau Chief and U.S. Politics Editor of The Independent. Before that, John was the uh, covered the Trump White House for Roll Call. And this is Brad Bannon with our weekly Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, John, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, the Trump's average job rating during the course of his presidency has been 43% positive. Uh, there have been aberrations. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Gallup had him up at 49%. Uh, in his presidency, he's been down as low as uh, 35%. And one of the things that I find striking about the uh, re-election campaign uh, is that Trump rarely, if ever, does anything to reach outside his base. I mean, everything he does seems 
to be focused on, you know, getting the same 43% of the vote he got last time. And it's always struck me that's a pretty risky proposition. Um, And so my question to you, John, is does Trump believe that uh, they can win uh, just by activating the base? You talked about their uh, concern about turnout before. They do. That's the entire play. They don't... um they don't really run away from that or, or, you know, I've covered politicians for a long, long time now. And uh, they will, uh, no matter what you think of any of them, if you agree or disagree, they have one thing in common. They will pick apart the premise of your question fairly quickly if they disagree with it. Um, and, you know, the Trump folks do not, don't, they don't do that. When, when you say, when you ask them even how you just did, like everything that you guys and the president do, seems, uh, you know, really geared toward the base. It's mostly about the base. They don't chase you off that. They think that that they can do this again, that they can can win this thing by, you know, 87, 86, depending on who's doing the counting on any of 2016, on any any given day, you know, a football stadium-sized margin spread across those, those infamous five or six swing states. Um, they really think they can do it. They think they can. They think they can. They can appeal to to even more white men to offset some of the losses that that we think. Well, that the polls are making us think that uh, you know some uh, white college educated suburban women, especially mothers, uh, who don't like how the president comports himself on Twitter or, or in public that they have gone away from the Republican Party. And that certainly appeared true in the 2018 midterms. We saw that that white uh, suburban female flight. Uh, but um, they also suspect that some of those folks uh, just aren't going to vote for a Bernie Sanders. Again, the X factor is a Mike Bloomberg. Maybe maybe they see Bloomberg as, as kind of the same kind of tough guy uh, persona as the president, just in a different package and, and, you know, probably they would, they would guess that Mike Bloomberg would not insult uh, multiple people every day on Twitter or, or, or in the East room of the white house. So maybe they would go in that direction. Um, but, but that's the play here is, is to, is to really gin up even more white non-college educated males, try to offset some of the losses with the assumption that you're going to keep a lot of those, uh, those conservative women anyway, they're just not going to vote for the Democrat, at least at the top of the ticket. And remember, a presidential race is a lot different than, than say, a House race or a state Senate race. And, you know, folks tend to stay with their tribe, and this is certainly a tribal era. era. So um, I, I think, you know, I, I think that's their math calculation uh, right now is, is just to, to try to get the same kind of coalition the same kind of, I guess, coalition or same kind of voting blocks on the right to turn out in, in those five or six states in really big numbers. Yeah, it, may, it does seem that way. I just wonder, and, you know, we won't know until uh, November, that if Trump doesn't win re-election, people will point to the fact that the difference between November 2020 and 2016 is that on Election Day uh, in 2016, Republicans were a lot more galvanized and excited about voting 
than Democrats were. And that probably is not going to be true again, uh, because everything I've seen in the polling so far, um, 10 months out or nine months out, whatever it is, suggests that Democrats this time are much more excited about voting than Republicans are. And I think it's because the reality of a Trump presidency uh, is a lot more horrifying to some people uh, than the uh, than the threat of a Trump presidency four years ago. But, you know, we'll find out in about uh, nine months. Uh, Let me ask you one more question, John, before we let you go. Uh, You said in the first uh, before the break that uh, you thought that the uh, impeachment process may end up uh, backfiring on uh, Democrats. Why do you think that? I don't know if Speaker Pelosi, when she when she decided, I mean, I understand the argument that what the president did, what President Trump did with on the phone call with President Zelensky, and and there, you know, there was evidence that that the intelligence committees had already, just because they're doing over, they were doing over their normal oversight, um, that something was amiss in the the Trump Ukraine policy. Um, group or, or apparatus, that, and that, that there was some shadow effort going on. Uh, I understand that, that I understand Democrats' argument that it was improper. Some Republican senators and, and, and others have said it was improper for the president to, to ask President Zelensky, do us a favor, though, then bring up the investigations he wanted of the Bidens and other Democrats, while and that came that came immediately after the two had discussed the, the U.S. military aid package that Zelensky desperately wanted and needed. But I, I just I, I can't help but but wonder how Pelosi and Democrats didn't understand what would happen when they could not remove the president, and they were never going to remove Donald Trump. It was never going to happen. Republican senators simply fear the tweets. They fear him primarying them with a, with, with a conservative candidate more in his mold. They also fear him turning off the spigot of RNC campaign uh, funding. Okay, John, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we hope you can join us again uh, soon. Um, our guest in this half hour was John Bennett, Washington Bureau Chief and U.S. Politics Editor of The Independent. Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Infighting within the Democratic Party was a major contributor to the first Trump victory, and it could pave the way for another. The wrecks from this year's Democratic Demolition Derby are the biggest obstacles to the party's victory in November. The president's job rating has been stuck in the low 40 percent range most of the time he's been president. If all Americans who oppose him stick together and vote against him in November, Donald Trump will not win a second term. The battle between the aggressive progressives and the moderate pragmatists in the Democratic Party rages fiercely, and it's time for both sides to cool their jets and tone down the incendiary rhetoric. Both wings of the party will share the blame if the president wins his re-election campaign. Any attempt by the Democratic Party establishment to gang gang up on Bernie Sanders will backfire. 
if party bigwigs manipulate the party apparatus to block the senator from Vermont, it will backfire, increase his support now, and later alienate his supporters who might not vote this November. The former First Lady's attacks on the Vermont senator's 2000 candidacy are a godsend to Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton's claim that no one likes Sanders may be true in her limited circle of friends, but clearly rings hollow to the millions of Americans who adore the senator from Vermont. The 2016 Democratic nominee is in a better position than anybody else to say I told you so since she warned Americans four years ago about the threat that Donald Trump posed to American democracy and to human decency. Clinton would do herself and her party a great service if she focused her fire against the president and not fellow Democrats. When she criticizes Sanders, she sounds like a sore loser. When she attacks Trump, she comes across as the clairvoyant who is wise enough to see the threat posed by Donald Trump, which sadly became reality. Uh, some of Sanders' ardent, uh, some of the ardent Sanders supporters would also be well served if they dialed down the rhetoric a few notches. The course for this year's running of the quadrennial Democratic Demolition Derby is my way or the highway. The bright blue line for this year's nomination battle is support for Sanders' single-payer Medicare for All proposal or for a public option to expand the reach of Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act. Some Sanders supporters have accused former Vice President Joe Biden and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Mayor Pete of being closet Republicans because of their opposition to Medicare for All. But both Democrats support an expansion of Obamacare that would horrify any Republican in Washington. While the president and congressional Republicans have done everything they can to gut Obamacare, Biden and Mayor Pete are taking friendly fire for fighting to expand the program. It just doesn't make any sense to fight any proposal that will bring health care insurance to the millions of Americans who gained it under Barack Obama and lost it under Donald Trump. The Culinary Union in Nevada was the target of vicious attacks from Sanders supporters for saying that their members would be better off with their hard-won union health care benefits than they would be with Medicare for All. The Kernery Union in Nevada has been the foundation of progressive politics in the Silver State for decades, and the insults that leaders of the union endured from Sanders supporters are beyond the pale. All Democrats should commend Sanders for asking his supporters to refrain from abusive and inciting attacks. Even one of the Vermont senator's most ardent supporters, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, acknowledged that it would be difficult for the Vermont senator to get Medicare for all through the Senate if he becomes president. So Sanders supporters might want to cut Biden and Mayor Pete a little slack on health care. The president has done everything he can to move America backward. All the Democratic candidates want to move the nation forward. The only question is how far forward and how fast. During the summer, I walked on a beach with a sign 
that warned people against throwing trash into the ocean. My version of that warning would be that the candidate you trash now will be the candidate you have to swim with in November. If Democrats don't hang together this year, we will all hang separately over the next four. You can read my take on the presidential race in the Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, dot com, front slash Brad dash Bannon. It's time for our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Mo Vella. He served in President Obama's administration as the director of administration and a senior advisor in the office of Vice President Joe Biden. The stint was the second White House appointment for Mr. Vella, who served as chief financial officer and senior advisor on Hispanic affairs for Vice President Al Gore. Mr. Vella holds the distinction of being the first Hispanic American and gay American to serve twice in a senior executive role in the White House. Joining Mo on the panel is executive producer and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, before you take my questions, uh, gentlemen, we have a caller on the line, uh, and our caller on the line is our good friend Michael. And Michael wants to talk about, um, Michael is a native New Yorker, and he'd like to talk about the two native New Yorkers running for Hello, president. Hello, everyone. Hi, Michael. Good to hear from you. All right. Make sure I got, everyone can hear me well. Um, a couple of things in mind. Number one, if there's anybody, any group of people that will be influential in the potential of Bloomberg versus Trump is will be New Yorkers since we both dealt since we both um, dealt with them both well before they both got into the national politics spotlight. Um, with that said, Mr. Trump should have never, ever opened his mouth or tweets in regards to the stop and frisk and claiming that um, Bloomberg is racist. And then now his um, base is going to say, see, um, Democrats, it's not Trump that's the racist, it's Bloomberg that's the racist. And my answer to them is not so fast, because although stop and frisk was horrific, um, at least Bloomberg apologized. And Trump was also a supporter of that. Add to that, Trump is also on record for saying all Mexicans, all blacks, all Latinos, Every single kind of minority group are criminals, r- rapists, terrorists, he, any kind of negative thought he can, you can think of, and has not once apologized for that. Never even apologized for the Central Park Five, whom he called for um, the execution of, and even doubled down on that call for execution when they were fully exonerated. So... You know, you really got to look at at least I think Bloomberg is reconcilable. As for Trump, I couldn't trust him with a 20-foot pole. Now, before I go, can I add a rebuttal to— Well, uh, let's, get, let's, let's get our uh, panel to comment on uh, Mayor Bloomberg and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Mo, do you want to start? Uh, how you feel about the—how uh, would you— uh, what would you think about a matchup of two New Yorkers uh, in November? 
Oh, my God. In so many ways, it'd be like the best movie we've ever attended, right? Uh, to have two brash New York billionaires, well, one a real billionaire, the other one a fraudulent billionaire, but two brash New Yorkers going at each other. I, I can't lie to you. I think it'd be amazing and a lot of fun to watch. Um, but to the caller's point, uh, let me just say this. There was one major thing I learned, uh, Brad, in my two White House tenures, having had the privilege, and it was a privilege to be in the room and some of these policy discussions. Um, you know what? Uh, the one thing I'm confident of is that Michael Bloomberg, like anybody else, was I was in the room with in the White House both times making policy. Their intentions were good. They thought they were doing the right thing at that time. Um, it's easy to look back and recognize that stop and frisk was horrific, and the results and the impact of it are uh, despicable. But, you know, I just think we need to be careful not to, you know, to question people's motives when they think they were doing the right thing at that time. He's apologized, like the caller said, and I, I agree with the caller. It's reconcilable, um, especially since he's demonstrated some humility. But let's not be so quick to say, um, you know, that people were bad at the time they were doing it when their intentions were good. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, what would you think of a uh, all-New York City uh, matchup in November? You know, it was summarized recently uh, in a bumper sticker where it said, any functioning adult 2020, and that's how I feel about <laughs> not just voting for the person, but literally I would canvas door-to-door for them, as Brad, you know, and, and Mo, you were much closer, uh, uh, obviously, being in the room, but um, I did door-to-door canvassing for President Obama in 08 in Pennsylvania, and then 2012 in Ohio, and then also for, uh, as Brad has talked about, with Unity, for Senator Sanders in New York in 2016, and then the general in Pennsylvania uh, for uh, Secretary of State Clinton. So honestly, I-, I think we're all smart enough to know that any of them would not just be much better, but immeasurably better than Donald Trump because he is so horrid. And as you said, the basic, I think, the most basic thing that has been mentioned, Mo, is that you can trust that anyone else who's been in the, the White House ha- had the the best intentions for the country, regardless yeah. of how it ended up in history. I really don't, I don't think you can honestly say that if you're really soberly looking at Donald Trump in the White House. I mean, he's serving himself and his family and trying to keep his base happy, and that's about it. So I, I agree with you, Mark. I, I was not referring to the president in any way, shape, or form. Oh, no, I agree I think, with you. I, it, I didn't yeah. think you were, but but that's the thing, Brad, I, to, to answer your question. And I also do think, honestly, he's got some, some proposals that I think would appeal to progressives, like, mm-hmm. like as John Bennett mentioned from the independent Brad, his $15 an hour minimum wage, his dedication to bettering uh, our environment, also uh, gun reform. So I don't think mm-hmm. he's just a one-lane candidate, whereas in, in some ways some other candidates are Brad. So to answer your question, you know, there are candidates I prefer, but I'm also not down on him like others are um, in some ways. And I also think some people do seem to be coming around to the idea of him as a candidate if he ended up becoming the candidate. I would like to see him on the debate stage for sure, though. I, I think he's, regardless of how he got there or gets there, he's got to be able to stand up to the scrutiny, uh, scrutiny of his own party if he was going to be standing on the debate stage with Donald Trump. Uh, I agree 150%. 
Okay. Okay, we're going to go to break now. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, after these messages with our guest on the panel, Mo Vella, former uh, Obama administration official, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In this second half hour of the show, as is of our custom, we have our provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today is Mo Vella, who has served in the White House as an aide to President Obama, Vice President Biden, and before that, Vice President Al Gore. Joining Mo on the panel today is our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. In the uh, first half hour, uh, we had John Bennett, who's the Bureau Chief of the Independent, on the show. Uh, John said that he thought that the Democratic failure to remove Donald Trump from office uh, might backfire on the Democrats. Um, Our good friend Michael from the Bronx has a dissenting view. Michael? Yes. Yes, Brad. Thank you. I believe that this will backfire more on Republicans because the Democrats presented a pretty well convincing case of uh, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, obstruction of justice. All these Republicans kept doing is covering up for Trump. And they are all on record, um, audio and video, saying the president did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And then they are conceded, well, he did something wrong, or he did something criminal, but it doesn't amount to impeachment. And then they kept changing the script, saying that, well, it might be impeachable. He might be um, warranting removal, but let's just leave it up to the voters instead of doing their sworn duty. So, you know, they kept spinning webs and spinning circles, and their credibility as well as integrity has hit rock bottom. And I think okay. that people will remember all of this. So, okay, Michael, he- let's uh, get the panel's reaction. Uh, Mo, uh, do you think that the uh, Democratic failure to remove Donald Trump from office will backfire on uh, on us? Uh, my basic feeling, I, I think that I agree with Michael. I think uh, the uh, trial uh, and the House investigation uh, unearthed uh, a great number of abuses, which I think have damaged uh, Trump politically. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, the fact that the Senate uh, refuse to remove him from office, the president can run around and, you know, say, hey, I was cleared. I was acquitted by the Senate. Everything's good. Uh, do you think the impeachment uh, process backfired or not, Mo? Um, I do not, actually. But uh, let me tell you why I don't think it backfired. And I don't think it will um, damage the Democratic Party uh, come the November elections um, uh, for a couple quick reasons. One, uh, first of all, He's impeached. He always will be impeached. He'll be forever impeached. Um, so he was acquitted, uh, and it wasn't even a full party line acquittal. So that does not bode well for him because that means it was a bipartisan. There was a bipartisan side that uh, voted to acquit to uh, convict him. That said, here's why I don't think it'll backfire. 
Um, the country's extremely divided, as we all know on this call, right? Um, and I don't think that the impeachment trial, it, didn't, it did not convince anybody that is entrenched with the president to come our direction. And it certainly didn't, I don't think it convinced anybody that's on our side to, to you know, to vote for acquittal. Uh, or to support acquittal out there across the masses. And so I don't see how that backfires on us. Um, the people are very entrenched on both sides. We're very divided. Um, and frankly, if, as Democrats and as progressives, I'd like to see us focused more on understanding what we need to do to convince some of those people to come back home. Because the people who voted Obama, Obama, Trump, should be our focus, and we should be laser-focused on them and understanding what made them abandon every value their mother taught them. And we need okay. to understand that so that we can bring them back. Okay. Uh, let's switch to another topic. Uh, Mark, uh, there's been a lot of Democratic infighting, and it's been worse uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it's got very bad since uh, Michael Bloomberg uh, got into the race. Uh, how big a problem is the Democratic infighting? To, uh, how much of an obstacle is it to beating Donald Trump uh, in uh, November? Because I'm very concerned about it. I'm very concerned as well. I do think that uh, it's it's concerning, number one, but it also is actually, I think, simultaneously overblown, if that makes any sense. And the reason is, is because a lot of it is online and on social media, and it's also being exacerbated by bad actors like Russian bots. I mean, you see uh, Trump and his surrogates pushing it, um, whereas I think when you get down to brass tacks, you know, I'll give you an example. I saw Fred uh, Guttenberg, or Fred Guttenberg, he's uh, uh his, he's a gun reform advocate from Newt, or, uh, from Parkland. He was getting harassed by some Bernie supporters online on Twitter this weekend, and he just directly appealed to Senator Sanders and said, call me, let's talk. That, that's how you got to hash these things out. Um, and I, I know we've got a minute left, Brad, so I'm going to toss it to you. Okay. Uh, uh, let me quickly ask you, uh, Mo, do you think the infighting is it is – is a big problem, and if you could answer quickly, we've got about 30 seconds left. Yeah, this, and, and I'd love to come back and have this discussion at greater length because I think this is a very um, important topic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I am not as concerned as you guys are about it just because I think it's the democratic process and this is what we do in a primary. We, I don't think as long as it stays out of being personal, Brad, I'm okay with it. But distinguishing policy stances, socialism versus democracy, or socialism versus capitalism, these are fair discussions and debates to be had. I don't okay, think that we're going to have to end it. At the, okay, we're going to have to end it there, Mo. Thanks very much for joining us today, and I hope you will join us again. Uh, our guests on the panel were Mark Grimaldi and Mo Vella. I want to thank uh, John Bennett, who was our guest in the first half hour. Uh, that's it for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'll be here next Monday at 3 if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Unless Donald Trump declares martial law, that is. And that's a more likely possibility than it was a couple of weeks ago.